0: What I've been seeing more frequently now is that a lot of these funds are going to what I call rescue capital. Uh, They're going out there to the big, big developers and saying, okay, you're getting close to foreclosure, but this is a good property. We'll come up with $10 million. We'll rebalance the, the loan. But, you know, Maybe your equity is gone, but you still own the property. And if things come back in three years, you, you can get your get some of your money back instead of losing it all. So I think that there's going to be a big push towards that. Uh, but you know, then it scares me is that I'm reading you know uh, in San Francisco, two of the largest hotels I've been you know, uh, they're being put into a receivership and the lenders have said, we want the property sold in a year.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome to this week's release of the real market talks podcast. On today's episode, I get the chance to speak to Bruce Stein, who is based out of Southern California. Over the course of his career, Bruce has worked across a range of product types, starting with syndication and moving on to everything from deal financing to development and advisory services. Most recently, he set up his own consulting practice where he provides clients with a range of services, including sourcing capital and deal formation, as well as estate planning. This episode is loaded with useful takeaways. Bruce shares valuable insights into current trends he is observing as well as lessons from his experiences working on a variety of deals. The Real Market Talks podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. If you are enjoying the episodes, please leave a like or comment on your favorite platform, as it really helps a podcast grow. If you have any interest in being on the show or want to leave additional feedback, go ahead and visit the show website or email me at realmarkettalks@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now let's hear from Bruce. All right, Bruce, thanks for coming on to the Real Market Talks podcast. It's great to have you on.
0: Thank you, Keith. Looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, definitely. i uh, been looking forward to having you on. Um, appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to speak with me. Um, just to get going here, why don't you just give a quick introduction to yourself and a little bit about your career?
0: Okay. Uh, well, you know, it all started when I was five years old. It goes way back. I wanted to be an architect. So I took a lot of architectural classes in high school through a friend. I started working for an apartment developer in high school. I then went to college thinking I was going to be an architect and took math and sciences and the university had an architectural and engineering department. They hired me as an architectural coordinator for four years. I learned one valuable lesson. I was not a very good architect. I was not very creative in that sense. I also realized that uh, I preferred development. So when I graduated, I moved to California. I actually formed my own company doing land use consulting uh, where I met a real estate syndicator uh, who said, why don't I teach you how to real, uh, do some syndications? So I yeah. learned how to do syndications, started doing it for myself, was buying apartment buildings, uh, mostly out of state because uh, it, it you could get more units for, for your dollar, uh, which will be a lesson that I learned afterwards. Uh, then I started working for real estate investors. Uh, One was a major home builder. We built thousands of homes a year. Then I worked for Shamrock Holdings, which was Roy Disney's company. And I worked there for 16 years. Uh, Some of the unique things, uh, I developed the motion picture television studio. Uh, Our main uh, tenant was 20th Century Fox and David Kelly. So I got to see a lot about how television shows and movies were actually made. Uh, After that, I worked for a private debt fund originating bridge and construction financing nationwide, and just recently I decided to just go off on my own and start providing consulting services. So I work with high net worth investors, second generation families who have a good size real estate portfolio, anywhere from 25 to a hundred million dollars. And I work with the owners to figure out where do you want to be in five years? Uh, what happens if there's a catastrophe, if you have a stroke or if you die, how do, do your family know how to manage the properties? Do they want to still hold them, sell them, refinance them and work with their financial advisors to determine maybe which property to sell if they need to pay death taxes and what properties maybe to refinance or gift to their children. So that's what I'm doing now. So it's, uh, but you know, it's been about a 40-year career.
1: And you mentioned those clients uh, might be in a position where they're actively managing the properties themselves and some might already have structure set up where there's sort of an organization operating those most of them do not have
0: an organization so they're they may have a property manager if they own properties out of state but they primarily are they're their own you know ceo COO. they're doing everything you know they you know it's just what they do for a living as they get up and they uh, They have a real estate and they love it, but they don't think, you know, what happens if I'm not there tomorrow? So that's my job is to make them think about what is tomorrow looking like.
1: Yeah. And when I was looking into your background, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, as you kind of alluded to here, is you've worked on a variety of different product types and with different organizations, um, all of which I kind of want to hear everything about. Hopefully I won't tire you out. Um, but it sounds like uh, you've had a lot of experience with a lot of different product types. And um, are, are there any in particular that a lot of these clients that you're working with now, is there sort of a primary classification of product type that you typically work with now, or is it still sort of a, a mix of things? It's a mix of things, but uh, primarily
0: a, a number of them seem to have a lot of single-family homes that they, they bought, they renting them out. Uh, you know, they like it, but they don't realize that it's it's a lot of work when you don't know the property, uh, especially if they're out of state, uh, you know, which I've learned is, you know, if you can, you know, you should know the market well, you should be able to be willing to travel there frequently, because, you know, if you're relying on a manager, you're relying on them for everything. And, One thing I learned is sometimes you make an unplanned trip to a property and you find out sometimes that some of the units you thought were vacant were occupied and you have to then fire the manager and then you're, you know, really behind in terms Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, having your property be profitable. But, uh, yeah, I would say a lot of my clients i have mixed they have they got office building they have a retail center they may uh, uh, have a co- apartment buildings you know and it's just that they've just acquired them and they like the cash flow and they never consider selling them uh, so they they will have uh, a lot of uh you know they're, they're the problem is that they aren't getting a lot of the depreciation that they used to get. So sometimes I try to educate them on doing a 1031 exchange, getting so you can get a higher basis and get some more uh, uh, depreciation. But that's you know a long-term stuff plan versus just getting them to understand what happens if they're not around tomorrow.
1: So you consult on a variety of different services to these clients. Can you just speak to some of the other types of services that clients might come to you looking for?
0: Well, you know, it was interesting is a year ago when I start, a little over a year ago when I started this, I was in uh, doing financing and I wasn't able to provide the financing I normally did because of the way the economy was going. Interest rates were going up. We we're still having problems with, you know, actually completing projects. Most of my borrowers were uh, fix and flip. They were uh, ground-up, luxury, single-family homes. And used to be that if you fix and flip a home, it could be six months. Now it's taking nine to 12 months. Ground-up construction, 15 months. Now it's taking 20 months. So it's just a longer term. So I had to charge more money to for a longer term. You had high, higher interest reserves. Uh, we usually then uh, ask for bigger... Uh, contingency. And it just wasn't competitive. And I just did not want to go down the road with a client that I've lent lots of money to and say, I can't do it. Coincidentally, they started calling me up saying, I can't get financing. What's the matter? And that was my first couple clients were old borrowers who came to me and I looked at it and said, well, here's why I turned you down. What did the other lenders tell you? And it turned out it was just the way they positioned themselves. So if you're a fix and flip operator and you've got lots of properties, the one thing a lender may look at is saying, okay, the loan I may make may be good. But your others may be a little shaky because of where you are in the market. And that one may cause it. So I, I explained to a few people is sometimes just make it a rental property. You may not have any rent, but you're not working on it. So now they can say, okay, you only got three or four projects going on right now instead of 12. And then a the lender can feel a little bit more comfortable that they're not, you know, giving you, you know, money that you're not going to be able to maybe pay attention to. And that's the worst thing that anybody ever wants is to, you know, also you're falling behind or you're coming back to the lender and asking for more money, which sadly is the case now. So some clients are coming to me and saying my loan matures. What do I do now? They are asking me to rebalance. Uh, I got to bring in more equity. So then I'll work with them to find maybe an equity partner who can bring in some fresh capital and where then they can then rebalance the loan. So, you know, those are the kind of clients, you know, the real easy ones, uh, that you can just help them, you know, solve a particular problem. But it seems that everybody I'm talking to, uh, they all have debt that is mature or coming due and they don't know how they're going to refinance it or, uh, cause, The interest rates are just uh, too high, so if you got a rental property, they got debt service coverage ratio, and it just comes down to it is you just don't have uh, as much debt you can put on a property. So it's 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 fun, you know, for me because I don't have any skin in the game. Uh, The clients do, and they have to give up a lot of equity uh, in order to keep a property, Uh, but. uh, The alternative is you turn the property back to the bank, and I wouldn't recommend that if it's a good property in a good location.
1: So you have clients that are coming to you at a variety of different stages over the, the course of a project life?
0: Yeah. The ones that I enjoy the most are the ones where the investor has a large portfolio, and you get to sit down with them and Figure out where do you want to be in five years or ten years. You know what should a portfolio be? Obviously, everybody wants cash flow. So how do you preserve cash flow? And the one thing that I did learn from uh, working with different uh, real estate and developers and investors is you want to try to have a portfolio that, you know, if there's up and down in the market, are you having stable cash flow? So, you know, apartments are pretty stable. If you had retail, you could lose a tenant and rents drop. So it's like taking a longer view picture of your portfolio and the economy and trying to have it kind of be flat where your rents and your cash flow are going up slowly, but consistently versus being in one sector and then maybe also one geographic location that if something does happen you've got a better chance of having you know a you know a big problem down the road so it's you know in a financial advisor or an estate planning attorney you know just doesn't have that same kind of conversation with somebody and you know like i always ask you know the client what did you? How did you fall in love with real estate? What was your motivation, and why did you buy this property, and maybe not the one next door? And then you 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 finally learned that their love for real estate, and that's the, I think the the common thread is that the investors love real estate; they don't want anything else, uh, and you know they're that, and that's what they know. So it, it is great to hear other people who's very passionate about real estate.
1: That's great. And it sounds like you've maybe kind of alluded to this next question um, in a couple of different ways here. But when somebody's coming to you, whether it be a client um, that's, that's looking for you know, some planning advice, or it's somebody who's looking for some particular help in the stage of the, of the project that they are, What kinds of qualities and strategies are you looking for when you start working with them? Well, first of all, I think they have to be open to constructive
0: criticism. I remember a lesson I learned in grad school was that most people uh, believe that if it's not broken, it can't get fit. You can't why fix it and everything can be improved on. And uh, so the first thing is you got to be open You've got to be able to look at it and and take someone's advice and listen. Uh, and then I think it's just realizing we're not, you know, uh, indestructible. We have, you know, we are going to, you know, die one day. And most of my clients who I'm working with right now are in their uh, mid to late 70s, early 80s. And they've had a very long uh career in real estate and now they're realizing okay uh my children only know i make a lot of money but they really don't know what it is and so i always say well let's figure out what we can do to make your children who are inheriting this have a better uh understanding and uh and then go from there so that's probably the first thing uh the second thing is you know that uh who are their advisors? I like to be able to also be able to talk with their accountants, their uh, their their planning attorney, who maybe has their estate, and make sure that everything is kind of planned out, so that you know if there's something, then there's they can come forward and say, oh yes, this is what uh, you know Joe wanted for. The properties sell this one, refinance this one. Let's hold this one, so that it's not like one person is, uh, you know, making the decision. So I want to bring in, you know, his other visor, so to speak, and we all put together. We all are committed to the same thing: is to, uh, you know, mostly is to make sure that their por- his your the portfolio is strong understandable from when the children maybe have to inherit it and understanding also the children because one thing I've learned is you get siblings and once I want the money the other one says I want the cash flow and then you got to then figure out how do you satisfy you know the the beneficiary so it it, it's it's a lot of work so it's uh so the key is is that I think the family has to be open to wanting to Prepare a five-year, ten-year plan, and uh, and and be open to it. That's the key.
1: Great. I think that's a great overview to uh, the variety of services that you can provide, and you know all the experience that you've had to to reinforce um, the advice and um, uh, that you're giving. So, I think for the next part of our discussion, I was kind of hoping to get into. Some of your observations of what's been happening over the past couple of years—you've, um, you know, made the transition in, in roles that you were in, as well as through just, you know, a, an interesting evolution in the state of the markets and deals that are happening. So, I was wondering if you could just start out by kind of giving just a high-level overview of um, some of your observations of what, what's been happening in the market before the pandemic, during and, and, and coming out of it, just some notable things that you've been observing and seeing?
0: Well, I think the one thing that's constant, even before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and now, is there's an abundance of cash. There are people who still want to buy real estate. They're all looking at uh, making a good deal. They want to buy low, sell high, which is nothing has changed. It's just, I think, where people are looking at properties now. So uh, prior to pandemic, uh, if you were a little contrarian, you looked at hotels. Uh, hotels, you know, it was like every day you have a new, uh, you know, you wake up and you've got 100% vacancy and you got to go rent it out for the day. You figure out what your competition is. Uh, if you're uh wanted to be conservative, you looked at Core Plus. Before that, it was office buildings, industrial. Industrial is probably still, I think, the strongest. I mean, where I live in California, what's happening now is that all the uh, malls, like the department stores that are vacant, a lot of the companies are coming in and they're buying that and they're using that as a last mile. Distribution center, so they're bringing in all the trucks. They're dropping off the the products that they're selling, but they need it for a last mile. And uh, so I think that that is probably uh, a key thing. Retail uh, going from uh, is doing okay. It's going through uh, a transition. Uh, a lot of the retails, you know, what I call the strip centers they're having a hard time. Uh, I've seen more and more where they're taking uh, retail and they're going, converting it to office. So a lot of small, uh, small office players are leaving their building and they're going into retail because they have their own entrance. They have their own, you know, areas and they just feel that it's easier. Uh, but you know, restaurants are doing well if you're capitalized, uh, apartments are doing very well but i think we're capping out on rents you just cannot continue to do that so i know in like in los angeles area uh, i've seen now that the trend is rents are coming down a little bit but it has to because people can't afford it anymore uh so that's so in terms of prior to the pandemic i think all Uh, sectors of real estate were doing very well during the pandemic. The retail, obviously, office and hotels uh, are coming, uh, have slowed down. And now that we're really out of the pandemic, industrial and apartments are doing very well. And the single family homes, the the build to rent is now just Going crazy, uh, a number of my clients who used to tie up like a hundred lots in a subdivision, they're now building them out and they're renting them. They're not selling them, so it's a very different market now for that product. Uh, and I'm just seeing that anybody who's looking for money, they can find it if they're willing to, you know, meet the terms. But uh, you know definitely if you're starting out you got to use friends and family money uh because you know you got to have a track record so uh to me that that that's the other thing doesn't matter the timing whether it was five years ago or today if anybody is going to be successful it's because they had a good track record they've seen the ups and downs anybody who survived the pandemic in terms of whatever they were doing in real estate they've got a lot more knowledge. They got a, you know, a better track record in terms of, I saw the problems that I have, and now I know how to, uh, you know, uh, work out the situations even before I do my next project. So a lot of the people I talk to who are doing fix and flipping, they've already tied down Let's who their suppliers are going to be. If they need windows or doors or plumbing, they're, they're already thinking about that ahead of time instead of waiting for the last minute because they know that that could be a factor that slows their project down. Uh, So it's like a lot more foresight, I think, in people's mind on what they're doing today than they were a few years ago because you didn't have to think about it because, you know, the real estate was going up 5%, 10% a year. So if you made a mistake, it cost too much. You could still make money because the tide was behind you. Uh, That's not the case anymore. Sometimes you're a little, you know, you're climbing up the hill. So uh, I think people have learned their lessons uh, not to over leverage and to uh, make sure they their well thought out plan before they, they execute.
1: Yeah. And I, I would imagine that um, there's more prudence in having uh, well thought out contingencies, just given how quickly things are changing. Uh, is that something that you're talking with clients about as well, just in case plan A um, gets disrupted?
0: Well, you know, when I, was, uh, a, a, when I was doing the lending, I'd always ask my borrowers, okay, how do you plan to pay me back? And they'd say, oh, well, I'll sell the property. And then I would ask them, no, how are you going to pay me back if that doesn't work? And they look at me and they're saying, well, what are you talking about? I go, well, "What if you can't sell the property? Is there gonna, are you going to rent it out? Can it cash flow? Can you pay the debt? And those are the things that I try to, you know, ed- I try to educate my borrowers on. Is always just don't think that what you're going to do is going to succeed. Make sure the backup plan is workable too. Uh, and you know, it's so that's kind of what I try to do now. Is I just always just say, what is the backup plan in case something goes awry, uh, and uh, make sure you know you're working on financing uh sooner than later because a lot of people are waiting and all of a sudden they're you know they they're getting the letter that it's uh hey your your loans due and they haven't talked to somebody. So it's mm. just you know trying to just get people to look forward a lot further out than just, you know, the next thirty days.
1: Yeah. Just being prepared ahead of time. Yes. So it sounds like from what you're saying on the investment side, that money is still interested in, you know, going after good deals if one is presented. Um, There's a lot of different variables right now, but it sounds like if there's the right opportunity, you can find the money for it. Are there any particular sectors right now where the money is especially interested? You kind of mentioned that there was a lot of industrial activity, um, which I've been observing as well. Um, are there any other types of deals where you're seeing right now where the, the money is is more inclined to or feels more a little more comfortable pursuing? Yeah, you know, it's I've been working
0: with uh, a fix and flip operator. He's trying to raise a fund now instead of doing one offs. And we're getting we're going to probably raise 10 million dollars. And, you know, for him, that means he could do three or four deals at a time instead of maybe one deal and it then allows him to buy more because he he's looks for the same kind of projects you know the same type so he he could buy a lot of things in advance and not have to worry about it Uh, but that is there's still attraction because that's People understand it, so a lot of wealth advisors will say, "I can, I can put a client in, and you know, and let them invest a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. They can get their ten percent return on their money. They, but it's, it's a simple understanding that they're putting money up. They know what it's going to be used for, how quickly it's going to come back, and that it's just going to be, you know, the 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 developer can." come in and say, I could do five, six of these uh, a, a year now and uh, I can give you 10% of your money. And that is attractive to a lot of people, uh, especially with the stock market jumping up and down. I mean, uh, uh, if you can get something consistent. So I think that's where a, a lot of money is sitting on the side. They're saying, I can get good returns. Uh, from, you know, just providing equity. Uh, To me, I think what I've been seeing more frequently now is that a lot of these funds are going to what I call rescue capital. Uh, They're going out there to the big, big developers and saying, okay, you're getting close to foreclosure, but this is a good property. We'll come up with $10 million. We'll rebalance the the loan, but you know, maybe your equity is gone, but you still own the property. And if things come back in three years, you, you can get your, get some of your money back instead of losing it all. So I think that there's going to be a big push towards that. Uh, But, you know, then it scares me is that I'm reading, you know, uh, in San Francisco, two of the largest hotels I've been, you know, uh, they're being put into receivership. And the lenders have said, we want the property sold in a year. So this is the issue that I'm seeing. Uh, Downtown LA has a lot of office buildings, you know, 50 story office buildings that are vacant. What do you do with them? Uh, And the floor plans don't, to allow you really to make uh, or convert them into residential. Uh, but I've heard of one where they're going to take every other floor out so they can get the height to be able to put in all the extra plumbing and air conditioning to make units. But they're long, they're narrow, they're not developed right for apartments. But you know, they're going to try to do them. I think some of them are going to just be torn down and because it's just too expensive to do anything with. So that to me is a big challenge too, is what are we going to be using some of these now obsolete office buildings in desirable areas is, sadly is have to take them down and, you know, start from scratch. But that's, that's where we're at today. And
1: yeah, that's something that I've been seeing a lot of, too, and, and a lot of discussion around, particularly around, you know, living in Boston um, and having parts of the city uh, that are predominantly office and, you know, the financial districts and uh, places where you have office buildings where they've been studied uh, in depth to see if there's an opportunity to convert the use. Uh, and they just don't lend themselves to that uh, product type uh, as easily as others. And then you you wonder what the, the next opportunity for that might be it's it's uh very challenging so are there any areas right now where the money just kind of wants to steer clear of you know or is it like you said just based on the opportunity
0: i think it's based on the opportunity i think people are very very cautious about uh investing in a hotel now uh, especially in certain markets uh and obviously, office. Uh, but you know, where I live in a suburb outside of Los Angeles, and but there are a lot of two-story office buildings. They're doing okay because you could walk up. They have ample outdoor parking, free parking. Uh, you know, so somebody who's walking in, if it's if there's ever ever a situation where you got to close down uh, the economy because of a, another pandemic. These people could go in; they wide hallways. You could go to your office and work. Uh, and I think that that's that's uh, these office buildings are attracting a lot of people. They've downsized; they're going into these, and they're working. I mean, what I've been talking with, you know, some you know major asset managers is they're working with their clients and helping them figure out. Okay, back to work. You know a lot of the younger people don't want to go back to work. And that concerns me because if they really never had a job where they had to go to an office, how are they going to ever interact maybe in 20 years when maybe they do have to? And I'm seeing some uh, lack of growth in some younger people because they're just not exposed to all that activity because they're able to make a living working at home. But they just don't have that, uh, what I call interaction with the, the senior people as much, and I'm I'm concerned about their 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 growth in the next three to five years if they don't go back to an office. So my encouragement to young people is, figure out a way to go into the office a few days a week, uh, because that's where you're really going to learn more is by observing, than just uh, you know working on the on the interneters.
1: Yeah. Just getting some exposure. Yeah. If you can. Is there anything that you're observing right now that's kind of surprising you where, it, you know, it's, you might've had one kind of prediction for the way things were going to go and, uh, you're just seeing something totally different.
0: You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm really, uh, seeing a, more of an interest with a lot of people who are not doing 1031 exchanges they're now looking at the Delaware statutory trusts they're looking at deferred sales trusts now they don't want to pay capital gains but they don't want to buy real estate even though you know if you buy you know most 1031 exchanges they're they're exchanging into a triple net property maybe it could be a Drugstore, it could be uh, you know the Seven Eleven, anything where it's just a coupon clipper, and people are saying, I don't even want that anymore. I want something where it's bigger. So instead of taking your two million dollars and buying, uh, you know, maybe a, a Rite Aid or something that's freestanding, is they're investing in these trusts that are maybe a hundred million dollar property, so that you're. your your exposure may be a little bit uh, less because you're a larger investment. The sponsors are definitely stronger and more sophisticated than they were 20 years ago. So that to me is a trend that I did not expect to see that is occurring more frequently. So a lot of clients are wanting to learn more about what I call DSTs, whether they're Delaware or deferred. They're they're very popular now, and I think a lot of people are are trying to figure out how do I get into that as a broker as well. So that's a a trend that I see uh, that uh, people aren't uh, that want to not exchange but defer their the tax.
1: All right, so I kind of want to jump into hearing a little bit more about your experiences with, uh, you know, all the different types of institutions and and products that you've worked with. I want to jump into hotel a little bit um, as well, uh, because it looked like you had a lot of really interesting insights about that. Um, So you already gave us kind of a high level overview of your career. Could you maybe just jump into some more specifics now about, you know, some of the specific types of institutions and, and deals that you were working on, maybe just in a little bit more detail? maybe starting with, you know, the, 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 single family, you know, developer and then maybe getting into some of the hospitality and okay. would love to hear more about, you know, the Disney organization as well. Okay.
0: So, uh, when I, it was in the early nineties, there was a home building company. I started working for them and in the Inland Empire, you know, California, it's a, Uh, Ontario Rancho Cucamonga growing very quickly and home builder building a thousand homes a year so the challenge was is obviously trying to find where where to buy Uh, but the the big challenge was financing it was always going to a bank who would extend you the money and you'd have to then find a second bank if you're doing another project and so it just seems like it's like a domino effect And the worst thing is, is that you've got, you know, you can only build so many homes if and it used to be, I think, you know, in the early 90s, you put up a sign and everybody would buy a house and it wasn't even built. And then by the early or the mid 90s, you're building homes and nobody was showing up. And next thing you know, you had 100 homes that were built and you're now carrying that cost. You have loans on it that, you know, so the banks aren't going to extend anymore. So, you know, the, the lesson that I learned from that is you've got to be very careful, of, you know, of where you are in the economy and, you know, are people slowing down and you can't just keep thinking, okay, I, I sold 20 homes last month. I'm going to sell 20 homes this month, so we're going to get it. And sometimes you have to take a step back. And the hardest part was going to... Uh, to the the original developer who you maybe tied up 300 lots and you say, I'm going to take down 40 every quarter and turn around and say, we're not taking down anymore. We're going to walk away. We're going to give you our deposit you keep it but we're we're not building anymore and next thing you know your your land inventory goes from maybe five thousand lots to two thousand and then you're looking at saying is that too many uh and at that time it was you know you they were building uh out in palmdale so it was like all of a sudden the people were driving further and that was their you know you had to compete. you know, the land was cheaper, so you you could buy a home for less money. And that, that was the hardest problem. So it's kind of like you're working your way out of a job because you just couldn't see it. Uh, but I got lucky. I uh, met somebody. Uh, he was the CFO of Shamrock, which was uh, Roy Disney's private investment vehicle. And he asked me if I wanted to do a consulting with them on a project. And it turned out it was to get uh, uh, the, so this is in the mid nineties. So I, I left the home builder and they were, they wanted to develop a motion picture studio, but they couldn't get the, their development plans approved. And because I was working, you know, That was primarily my job was getting developments approved at the home builder that I went to the city and was able to work it out. Then they said, oh, we've got another project that we'd like you to do. And it was a big project, a 600,000 square foot office park. And I was able to work with the city and get those, you know, permits ready. And they said, you know, how would you like to oversee these now? But we want you to. We want to hire you. So they hired me, and that was a really good thing, uh, because you know I got to develop a you know a studio. I developed a six hundred thousand square foot uh, office park. We built some high-rise uh, residential buildings, a million square foot industrial. So I got to start seeing a lot. Uh, different type of deals, but we would raise, uh, funds, you know, so we raised $300 million funds that we can then, uh, invest in these deals so we can use other people's money. It's always great to do that. Uh, but one of the funds was to buy hotels. I didn't know really much about hotels, but we met, uh, a hotel manager that we really like and we said, know, yeah, maybe we if we partner together, we can do hotels. We've we've got the contacts and to, to find investors. You can find the deals. And the one thing that I learned about hotels, yes, there's a real estate component, but it's a business. It's really it's hospitality. And I still remember uh the owner of the hotel management company saying the customer's always right. And, and, you know, when you you got a retail property or apartment building, the landlord's right. You know, you very rarely do you ever hear that, you know, the tenants, right. Uh, but in hospitality, the, you know, they're always right. And, you know, you, you learn something different is every day, uh, especially if you have a restaurant is, you know, that You're dependent on your occupancy because you're your fixed cost, but there's just something wonderful about owning hotels. You know, especially in good areas, uh, they're all different. And even though you know we did a lot of uh, uh, Hilton product, but there are so many different Double Trees, Hampton Inns. You would, you know, it's just a different market for uh and you just i learned so much just from that is how do you market every day and the one thing you learn is okay where you are uh, how do you put it out on the web you know how do you position yourself how do you buy clicks so to speak so that somebody goes to your hotel and that was something i never ever paid attention to is how do you sell yourself you know in, on the internet now, and that there's people, that's all they do. And uh, I really don't have, I don't have a, you know, a page, you know, but people, you know, now live and die off of how many people come to their website. So that's something I realized you, you got to have good people who can manage, you know, that aspect because you can't be good at everything. So that's, you know, you got to build a team up. So like for me, a lot of times I tell people, you know, my clients, who else can we bring in, you know, uh, to the deals so that you you really have a full complement of, of thought going on. It's like not only, you know, are your properties on the web? Are you marketing? How are you leasing? How are you promoting your properties? Do you have a... a a Facebook page so that people can land on it and you know those are the things that I was never aware of until we started you know buying hotels and now it's you know everybody's on on Facebook or Instagram uh it's just uh, mind-boggling what you have to do if you want to succeed in real estate is you've got to have all of that and uh so that that's part of also what I, uh, I, I'm clueless really when it comes to that. So that's part of also, I think that's great about a blog is you get to learn yourself, you get to educate. And I hope if, if somebody listens to this, they learn one thing, then it's a success because that's all I ever asked for is if I go somewhere, I want to learn something new, something that made me think about something. Uh, and, that that gives me the you know the biggest pleasure is when I work with a client they go I hadn't thought about that or that's a unique uh, a, a way of looking at it so but uh, yeah I got lucky I got you know when I was at Shamrock they had invested in a company that was building homes so they knew that I came from a home building background and I ran then a, a home building company but it was in the southeast I had to travel a lot. But we were, you know, was building thirteen hundred homes a year again, and all of a sudden I had to get back into oh my God, you know, just the marketing, and the financing, and that was you know, learning all over again, and you know, the hardest part is going and saying we bought in the wrong neighborhoods, you know. So it's like recognize sometimes you it's better to walk away, than just say nope. I'm going to go develop it because that's the right thing so if you're out there and someone's listening and you've got a project and you think you want to develop it really take a step back think about it sometimes it's better to just sell it to the next person take your smaller profit you know don't uh think just you know because i'm a developer that the the projects you know don't wear the rose tinted uh, glasses uh it's not always rosy at the end and sometimes it's better to just not do a project, then do it. But I have to admit, uh, there are times where I missed doing a project. We we had an opportunity. So an example is uh, an investor came to us and they wanted to buy the, the Robinson Broadway property in Beverly Hills. And I think they said they tied it up for $50 million and they wanted us to be bigger investor and their plans were to get it entitled for 550 condos and we're just saying i'm not sure about that well two years later they sold it for 550 million dollars just the land (laughs) and that one i was that that is one of the deals that i liked conceptually but i wasn't sure if it would actually come to fruition and then to hear it come to fruition and then such a big price. And of course it then got, uh, foreclosed upon by the lender got then sold foreclosed again, and now they're ready to start building. But it's just, it's, you know, sometimes you are just not believing, uh, in, you know, in, in a project and you just say no, but most of the time, uh, saying no is okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure anybody listening is going to uh, have a, a, a many takeaways from this. I myself am trying to take notes here. You know, I feel like I'm coming to a point in my career where um, I'm starting to, you know, look at things and reflect on, you know, the skills that I've developed up to this point and recognizing that there are some skills that I'm utilizing that I never had considered going into this where I'm realizing how important they are. Um, what are, looking back, some of the things that you've developed when you reflect on now and you say, wow, this this ended up being a really important skill. I wish I had started implementing this or doing this sooner or, or something like that. Well, the one thing
0: I think that uh, the advice that I would give, especially somebody who's starting out, try to do it local. When I started doing syndications, I went to Kentucky. I went to Colorado because you could buy a 100 uh unit apartment building in los angeles i could have maybe bought a 30 35 unit apartment building in hindsight knowing how the properties appreciated there versus la i would have been better off probably buying a 35 unit it would have been easier because i could drive to the property so it's when you're starting off my advice would be learn know the neighborhood you know buy smaller if you have to because you if it's in your backyard you know uh you can go to it you can make sure that everything is going smoothly uh as soon as you go out of state you're bringing in i would probably have to have a manager i'm going to be having to fly there quite a bit uh and you know so maybe start a little bit closer to home uh, because so many people I know who I just talked to and they're buying out of state and they're, they're doing well, but I keep telling them that, you know, how much time are you traveling? How much time are you focused on that? If that you could be doing another deal if you were in California and they're saying, well, I, this is the only place I can afford to be. And I said, well, then that's, you know, that's a, just a situation you're going to be in for a long time. Uh, but yeah, my advice is try to be local if you can at first. You know, make sure you have your systems down. I still remember there was a, a I remember, you know, from uh, the quote from the old uh, hockey uh, coach when the U.S. played Russia for the the World Cup hockey. And he says, I know how to beat the Russians. We got to play their game. And he was being beat up because he didn't want the best players. He wanted what he called, I want the right system, which I can bring, but I want the right players. And they don't have to be the best. They have to be right. And what he meant by that is when you have a team, they have to be able to work together. They can't all be, oh, I want this. I want that. It's like, what is the goal? How do we move forward together as a team? And, you know, so, and of course they, they beat the Russians that year because he had the right team. He didn't have the best players. And, you know, it's, and that's something that I always, uh, try to, uh, you know, get my clients understand is you don't have to have the best. You just have to have the people, the right people, the right plan, and then the right information, and then everybody can go forward. So, uh, you know, because everybody's looking at, uh, okay, how do I go from A to B? And so it's, you know, just figure out that I don't need the best. I just need the right people, and you can get along well that way.
1: That's uh, really great advice. Uh, really, um, you know, enjoyed hearing that, that insight. Um, so, so, like, what's exciting you right now about the industry? You know, obviously, these are weird times. But um, are there any potential things that you're excited about or where you see a lot of potential um, that you're interested in digging into more? Uh, you know, I, th- I still see that Good,
0: well-thought-out development projects are going forward. There are lenders who are still willing to lend, uh, and that's a good good thing. Real estate's not going anywhere. It just has to be well-thought-out, well-capitalized. So to me, the difference now is it's taking a little bit more maybe equity to do a deal than debt, But that's fine, and because then you wake up in the morning, and at least if if me as a developer, I would want to know. Okay, uh, I I have the debt service uh, coverage to to pay for the uh, the project. Uh, But uh, yeah, there's plenty of money. There are plenty of good deals. Uh, I'm I'm really seeing, especially in L.A., there's a lot of uh, older apartment buildings that people are now going after because they need to be renovated. Uh, And these additional dwelling units are becoming very, very popular in California. There's a new law that they're passing in California that if you build an additional dwelling unit, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but you know, granny flats, you're able to now sell them as a separate parcel and it just becomes like a condominium and your, your home is a condominium. You create a small HOA so that you can, uh, pay, you know, uh, you know, have it just like you're operating, a, a, an HOA. And I think that that is going to create a lot of opportunities for people. Uh, and yeah, so there, there's some really interesting things if you pick it, but, Again, I think stay in your lane. Uh, the one thing that I realized when we were at Shamrock, we d- we did home building. We did hotels, we did do- and it was you you just didn't get a name for yourself other than we had money and we were willing to do big deals. But I think for more people, stay in your lane, focus, be a more of a generalist and say, okay, I, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at apartments, stay there. Don't think, oh, I, I got an opportunity to buy a retail center. I think uh, you you stay focused is the main thing, uh, uh, and you'll be able to get by in the next, you know, ten years easily.
1: Yeah, um, that's good advice on the specialization for sure. So as we're kind of coming to the end here, um, obviously, you know, I had a lot of questions that I'm curious about, and I was interested in learning more about. But, you know, just given the opportunity to, you know, talk about things that you're interested in, what would you most want to talk about right now? Or what would you want to share, um, whether it be about, you know, what you're seeing in the markets or just an experience, you know, from your career that you think would be useful? What would you be most excited to talk about? Uh,
0: yeah. To me, uh, building a single family home again. yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is this is for you? Well, no, I I think you know, yeah, I'd love to be able to you know uh, find somebody and just say let's start building single family homes again. Uh, oh, and, cool. You know, it's just you know, we have a shortage of housing in California, uh, so you know, I've been quietly talking to people and just saying, would that you know, it'd be great to you know get together and get, you know, raise money and then, you know, go out and buy uh, a small subdivision and start building, you know, 10, 20 homes by a go out areas and, you know, you know, find a old property, tear it down and build some single family homes. Uh, I think, you know, I would love that because uh, you know, that's kind of where I started. My career is uh, you know, kind of like start into home building. And uh, I kind of will maybe end my career that way if I can find the right partner.
1: Yeah, that's great. And and you just have a particular affinity for, you know, the residential. You just enjoy that product.
0: You know, part of it is uh, it's so easy. You know, everybody has to live somewhere. And it's do you can you figure out what is going to make somebody happy and having that vision uh i've i've been fortunate enough to have worked with some architects who are also developers and love listening to them saying here's my home i'm i'm designing it for a family to live in oh no i'm designing this home because this is going to be an entertainment home and well why family well this is the location it's a family this you know hollywood hills it's entertainment and you know for them to realize okay it's a mild Maybe separates the properties, but one is going to be more entertainment focused, and another one's going to be family. And how they come up with that? So you know that that part is just you know I I love that. You know, is that you can build a four thousand square foot home, and they have completely different uses in mind. And uh, you know, yeah, that, that kind of excites me again. Going back to the beginnings.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I also appreciate, um, you know, residential and uh, the home building process just because to your point, um, the impact that it has, but also the the fun of sort of curating the, the living experience is something that's appealing.
0: Well, and also there's a definite cycle to it is you find the land, you build, you sell. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, Basically, working with clients who've accumulated real estate for 40 years, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do we what do we do with this, you know, over the next five years? And yet, uh, uh, you know, for me, if, if if it was me, I would want to be doing something where I know I can be in and out of in 18 months to two years and make a a good you know return on my investment. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's why there's, you know, fix and flippers out here. There are so many of them is, you know, they just understand that market. They stay in their lane. Uh, the successful ones don't go out of their market. They know I can. I could buy a house for seven hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna spend seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna sp- sell the home for a million one. I'm gonna make a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand, and it's cookie cut. They just know it. And th- th- those are the kind of people I'm excited to work with, is, is that they 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 know they they have the right system, they're now uh, putting together the right people and they're going to be able to execute so that's what gets me excited is uh that you know people have a plan they're going forward they're you know and and these are young people too so that that excites me is uh to be able to help them uh uh if i can in some way
1: awesome well bruce uh can't thank you enough for coming on to the show sharing your observations of just the general trends you're seeing right now, I think all the insights are, are so helpful, um, especially with your level of expertise across so many different product types and, and your experience throughout your career uh, is just so valuable. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
0: Keith, thank you so much. And uh, I will uh, do what I can to promote your show because I think what you're doing is great. Uh, and you you know, you. it's important that people, you know, get, uh, understand real estate more because it's, and I look forward to seeing what you
1: do next. Uh, Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Okay, Thank you, Keith. Um, how can people get in touch with you, uh, if they want to contact you? Uh,
0: my, uh, email, uh, B S T E I N at real R E A L prop P R O P partners.com. They can find me also on LinkedIn and reach out to me and say, oh, I heard you on Keith's podcast. Love to connect.
1: Great. And yes, I will also share uh, that contact information as well in the show notes. Okay. So, all right, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Take care.